Thank you, Katie. Thank you, kids. And uh, we're in the Friendship Test series. And uh, last week we talked about uh, how we have sometimes in our head a picture of an ideal friend. And uh, that sometimes that ideal friend, that list of expectations is sometimes crushing to the people around us. Sometimes we have expectations that only Jesus can fulfill and uh, that he really is the best friend. And with that, we understand that with the friendship test, if we were to put that list of what we imagine an ideal friend would be, that we don't even uh, match that list, that we can't even live up to it. And when we try, we fail. And so there is grace for ourselves and grace for others in this, and that we need to instead always be looking for the ideal, ideal friend, uh, that we be that friend. And even though that we fail, uh, failure isn't fatal, uh, that we still hold up an, a beautiful idea of friendship and then we pursue it. But we try being the friend first instead of expecting that friend to appear for us. So today we're stepping into, uh, and, and all that kind of had the question uh, behind it of, um, you know, are you my ideal? Can you be my ideal friend? Um, but today there's a question that is behind uh, what we're talking about today. And the question is, um, is, can I trust you? Can I trust you? And uh, will you disappoint me? You know, sometimes our friends aren't always what we wish they were. And sometimes we don't choose our friends, but our friends choose us, right? It's my friend Rabbit. He's my friend. He is who he is. And, and with that, um, what is our choice with these friends that come to us, friends that maybe we don't choose, um, friends who aren't what we hope that they were, uh, are we just going to write them off? Are we going to ignore them? Are we going to be unforgiving towards them? What is our choice with that? And you know that uh, when we hear the gospel, when we hear the words of Jesus, uh, it's very in contrast to our world around us. You know, we... In our world, with friendships and, again, people around us, a lot of times, you know, uh, we have that list and we're comparing and, uh, and we begin to classify people. We label people. And we, sometimes we even do, uh, you know, well, they're, they're left and I'm right and, and this person is uh, good and that one's bad and uh, this person's right and this one's wrong. And, uh, you know, Jesus didn't do any of that kind of classification with people, did he? Instead, he, he just said there are humble people and there are proud people. And God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And uh, the gospel that Jesus presents to us is that we're all wrong. We're all wrong. And we're all more wicked than we thought. But we're also more loved than we ever hoped. And that's the beauty when we look at Christ. And I think when we see that and believe that with our mind and with our heart, it changes us. It changes us forever. And one of the things that changes in our life is this idea of friendship and how we operate in friendship and fellowship and community. And so that's why we're talking about this, because I think sometimes we struggle uh, in the church with ideals of friendship that, that are maybe not uh, shaped or yeah, shaped by the gospel. And so we need to have every aspect of our life shaped by the gospel in this new way of living that he's called us to. So, um, 
Do you fit my ideal? Can I trust you? Will you disappoint me? And I guess the truth of the matter is when we ask that question, can I trust you? Will you disappoint me? The, the, the truth of the matter is that, yes, we are going to be disappointed and trust will be broken. But the real question comes after that. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Are we going to allow other people to be sinners? And do we dare to be sinners? And how do we respond to other sin and, and, for, our own that, and for our own sin? You know, there are three stories that I want to share with you today, three snapshots that kind of describe this picture of maybe breakthrough disillusionment. And I think that's what, what we deal with sometimes with this, can I trust you or will you disappoint me? There's, there's disillusionment. And can we break through the disillusionment to move past that and to continue into true friendship, true community. And so uh, there are three stories that I think of, three true stories that come from God's Word, and uh, snapshots of what we're talking about here. The first story is recorded by uh, Moses in the book of Genesis, and Moses tells about Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Now, how many of you here got to choose your brother or sister? Nope. None of you got to choose your brothers or your sisters. Nope. That's, we don't have a choice about that. And, but how many of you are friends with your brother or sister or sisters and brothers? Yeah. Sometimes they end up being some of your best friends uh, in your family. Well, it, it was a little rough in Joseph's family. You see, uh, not only was there a lot of kids, there were two moms involved. And, and, uh, and, and Joseph was just different. He was just different from the rest of them. And uh, Joseph's brothers, they, they just didn't really, like, they didn't really like who Joseph was, to be honest. I mean, he was a dreamer. And, uh, and, and when he shared his dreams, they didn't like the way he shared them. And, and he was also the youngest of the family at that point. I mean, he had a, there was a little baby brother, maybe 18, you know, 15, 18 years younger. But, but the problem with him being the youngest was that he was dad's favorite, and they, and they all hated favoritism, and, and it was just a mess. And, and so after Joseph shared one of his dreams, uh, they had enough of him, and they plotted to kill him. And the last moment, they, they lost their nerve. One of the brothers convinced the others to, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Yeah, there's an idea. And, but the big word for that is betrayal. Betrayal. I mean, it really hurts when someone you thought who was a friend, someone you thought that was like family, turns on you, betrays you, and sells you out. Well, Joseph's situation, he, he's sold into slavery, goes into Egypt, bad situation, but his situation goes from bad to worse because he runs into, uh, as he's a slave in Egypt, he runs into his master's wife who then lies about him, and from that lie, he ends up in prison in Egypt. Now, this is the second betrayal that's happened to Joseph that's led to really dire consequences. I mean, now think with me now, just how would Joseph now approach every person that he meets? Do you think that he might have a little question in his head, are, are you going to betray me? Can I trust you? Are you going to disappoint me? I would think he would have a lot of caution with every single person that he met. But there he is in prison, and there's two, two guys there with him that he goes ahead, and he takes steps, and he befriends them. 
In fact, he does a favor for them. He interprets uh, their dreams. They each had a dream. And, uh, and those dreams come to pass. And, and one of the guys ends up leaving the prison. And Joseph says to him, hey, remember me. Don't forget me. I want justice. I want out of here. And uh, eventually this man does remember Joseph. And, and that little remembrance is the turning point where God raises betrayed Joseph out of the prison in Egypt to the, and places him at Pharaoh's right hand. Now, the tables are turned at this moment when Joseph's starving brothers come from Egypt to buy food from Pharaoh, and they end up at Joseph's feet. They don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And, and at this point in the relationship with his brothers, uh, this is also not just a personal turning point, but it's also a turning point in history for the people of Israel, for the Hebrew people. You see, at this moment, Joseph tests his brothers, and, and then after that, he reveals himself. And at that point, Joseph chooses to forgive his brothers and accepting them as they were. A sorry lot of guys, beggars at the door of a king. Now, it's interesting, if Joseph didn't forgive at this moment, didn't provide for his brothers, they would have died. And that is a real, that's a reality. I mean, think about the betrayal that he felt. He could have said to his brothers and never revealed himself. He could have just said, forget you. Go back to your land and starve. But because he didn't, and because one of his brothers was Judah, and the descendants of Judah came Mary, who was the conduit through which God brought the Savior. God had a plan for the people, and he had to carry it out. But in the midst, there was also... Not just the big picture of history and what was going on, but what was going on personally with Joseph and his brothers. And it related to the big things. How many times do we have moments where we have a a moment to forgive, a, a moment to offer forgiveness, to show mercy? And maybe it's more than just a personal moment. Maybe it's a life changing moment. Maybe it's a history changing moment. We don't know. We don't know. But it was a significant moment for Joseph and significant moment in history. But wasn't, you know, when you think about Joseph at that moment and his choice to forgive his brothers, think about what may have been going through his head. I mean, wasn't he just maybe a few years before also a beggar standing before a king pleading that he wouldn't have to go back to prison again? Maybe there was some moment that mercy reminded him that he was the same as his, as his brothers. Even though they were guilty of betrayal, they were all just beggars before a king, every one of them. So in the end, Joseph accepts his brothers, and after, a great, um, after that great betrayal, he accepts him, and his brothers accept him for who God made him to be, a dreamer and a ruler. You know, the second story, second snapshot, so that, that's the first one. The second snapshot, get this, is a story of 12 men. 12 men who end up having to live together as friends, though none of them chose to be friends. And of course, this is the story of the 12 disciples recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
And uh, when you think about the dynamics of these men and who they were living together, it is a wonder. It is a wonder. You know, think first of uh, when you look at the list of the names, there's a guy named Simon the Zealot. He is basically a freedom fighter uh, for Israel. I mean, Israel is occupied by the Romans, and he is willing to fight for that freedom and get the Romans out of there, and, and he'll do anything. Now, alongside Simon the Zealot, who does Jesus go and call to join them? He calls Matthew or Levi the tax collector. Now, Levi, Matthew, I mean, he, he is already shunned by the rest of his fellow Israelites as a sellout. But, but, but the zealot, Simon the zealot, he would not just see him as a sellout. He would see Matthew as a traitor, someone who has committed treason to his country, and he would want him executed. He'd want him dead. And here Jesus has these two men in the same group. Come follow me. Wow. Think about a couple of the sets of brothers in there. You know, you got uh, Peter and Andrew who are brothers. You got James and John who are brothers. You ever wonder if, if the younger brothers are kind of like, man, one more time I'm hanging out in the shadow of my older brother. You ever think they got tired of that? Maybe they did, but Jesus called them together. You know, James and John were also, they had a nickname uh, that was kind of known among the people. They were the Sons of Thunder. I don't know what they did to deserve that name. Uh, you know, Tony Campalo jokes about it. You know, what were they, a motorcycle gang? Or, you know, I guess they didn't have motorcycles, but they had camels, you know, camels with racing stripes. And, you know, they had these leather jackets on the back that said, Sons of Thunder, you know. But, you know, what, what was up with that? I, I mean, there was a moment where you kind of get a picture of it when they, they kind of acted like they were deputies of Jesus, you know. They're in a Samaritan village and... and, and uh, the Samaritans don't want to listen to Jesus. They reject him. And, and so James and John are like, hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn up this town? And like, Jesus has to rebuke them. And like, shut up, guys. Get behind me. Follow me. And, and so you can understand why the disciples sometimes got into arguments with each other, uh, you know, a couple of different times about who was the greatest among them. They were such different people with different ideas about status, different ideas about how to get things done, assumptions about those who lean to the left or to the right. You know, it's a wonder that Jesus ever got them moving in the same direction. Now, now some of them didn't have connection with each other at first, but they each had a connection with Jesus. And Peter's relationship, his connection with Jesus is described the most. At one point, Peter asked how many times he should forgive a friend before he crosses him off the list. Maybe up to seven times? Should I forgive them? You know, who was it that Peter was exactly thinking about at that moment? I mean, was it one of the other disciples? Man, he always hogs the food. I never gonna, he stole my pillow again last night. You know, what, what was, you know, thinking? How many, you know, but Jesus responds and says, no, not, not seven times. Think more like 70 times seven. Now, you know, if Peter, I'm, I'm sure he's sitting there calculating on his fingers and his toes. I mean, he was a fisherman. He counted fish all the time. So I'm sure he did figure it up, but I think somewhere there was a moment where Peter, it came across to him that maybe forgiveness isn't supposed to run out. That's what Jesus meant by that answer. And of course, after that moment, you know, I think all the disciples said, hey, Lord, give us faith. You know, give us faith to forgive that much all the time. Wow. Well, maybe it came more across more clearly to Peter after he denied ever knowing Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. 
You ever wonder what that would be like? What it would feel like? Suppose you walked up to a couple of friends and uh, they were talking and it was a kind of a different social situation and they just ignored you. Or they acted like they didn't even know you. Would that maybe hurt? A denial of sorts? Yeah, it would. Three times. Well, and Jesus, he doesn't kick Peter out of the group. Doesn't say you're done being an apostle, disciple. Instead, he reinstates him. Did you ever wonder about his fellow disciples, what they thought of him? I mean, Andrew, Peter's younger brother, was he kind of like, man, I always looked up to you. Man, I thought you were so brave and courageous, and you, you wimped out in front of a little girl, said you didn't even know Jesus. How could you do that? I mean, did John, who didn't desert Jesus, but followed him all the way to the cross, I mean, was he kind of disgusted with, with Peter's cowardice? But you know, Jesus, he just had one question for Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? If so, let's go. Let's go, follow me. So that's our second snapshot. So first one, Joseph and his brothers. Second one, the 12 disciples, and especially Peter, and Jesus' grace and forgiveness towards him. Third snapshot reminds me of something, and, uh, and all these stories actually do. They remind me of, of this inner tube. And uh, this is a little object lesson this morning, and so I'm going to require a little participation. And, uh, and so I need you three right here to stand up. And I need you to, to get into this inner tube right here. Watch out for this little knobby thing, guy. All right? How are you doing there? Snug, snug. All right. How many people do you think you can, we can fit into this inner tube? Huh? Maybe one more? Five? I think, I think we can fit 15. Let's give it a try. All right? So uh, this, here's, here's how we're going to go here. Um, I'm just going to pick some people, and you don't have any right of refusal, okay? All right. How about you three right here? Why don't you come up and join our, our little inner tube circle? All right. And uh, let's see. Let's see. Who should I pick on next? Oh, I see our next victim right here. Adam, come on up. You, you too. You come on up here. Come on, Steve. All right. Oh, now be careful with Adam. He's, he's got a, a crushed toe. He's got a crushed toe. All right. No, it's not. All right. We got Steve. All right, all right. Good. Now, now we got a little. We, we got a, you got some big guys in here this time. Last time we we just had some little people. We still got some wiggle room. All right, we got some more. All right, Brittany and Eliza, come on up here. Doing good, doing good. All right. Uh, let's see. You 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 want to join in? Yeah, come on, come on. Yeah. All right, we're doing good. We're doing real good. All right. I'm not even sure how many people we got here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Hey, I think we can get four more in here at least, okay? All right. I think, um, I think you two. You two look like you're okay getting cozy. Oh, okay, you're pregnant. All right. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, oh, you got some. You want to try it? Come on. Come on. Let's go. Oh, you want? Oh, great, great. I'm glad... 
Sure, yeah, come on. Yeah, join in, join in. All right. One, two. I forget how many have come up already. All right. Emma, how about you come up? Matt, Matt, come on. All right. Oh, way to go, way to go. This is looking really great. This is looking really great. All right. I forgot how many we've asked, so I'll just count again here. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, I think. Hey, is it, we got everybody in? Yeah. All right. That's pretty good. Fifteen people in the inner tube. Now, was that, uh, is, is that more than you expected that could fit in there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, just keep that in mind. All right, now you guys, you're going to have to figure out how to get out of this. I'm going to go on talking. And so um, you guys, figure that out. You can hop on out. Thank you. Everybody give them a hand for participating in this. Appreciate it. All right. So keep that in mind, that, that maybe things, maybe more can fit in our little circles than we think. But uh, the third story reminds me of this. Uh, it's a, it's a, about a man raised in a Jewish home who chose a profession, but he didn't choose his friends. And the story is recorded by a doctor named Luke. And Luke tells how the, the profession, this short man chose, uh, put him in the outs with the rest of his Jewish society. So naturally, uh, those who were already on the outside, the outcast of society, accepted him. They're the prostitutes, the thieves, and, and other tax collectors. Now, Zacchaeus didn't choose them, but they accepted him when the rest of society rejected him. But one day, one day, Jesus enters the picture. And Jesus was coming through Jericho, Zacchaeus' hometown. And Zach made a plan to see this wonder worker everybody was talking about. Who is this Jesus guy? And he wanted to see if the reports were true. Now, the crowds were thick, and um, being a a short but smart man, he calculated Jesus' route, and he ran ahead to a tree, and he climbed up in it to see what was going on. And Jesus, lo and behold, comes to the tree, and he stops, and he looks up, and he says to Zacchaeus, hey, I'm going to your house today. We're going to have a party there. And Zacchaeus can't believe it. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, when you invite somebody over to your house for a meal, uh, what are you saying when you do that? Throw out a few answers. I like you. I want to get to know you. I'm inviting you into friendship. Is really what, what we're saying when we invite someone to share a meal with us. And it's the same across any culture in any country Sharing a meal with someone is a special thing. And that's what Jesus was saying to Zacchaeus. He was saying, I'm inviting you into friendship. And that was crazy because everyone else said, we don't want to be this guy's friend. He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. He's a crazy man. And so Zacchaeus, he gets to his house. He gets the house party going. And Jesus comes. But guess who else comes to the party? All of Zacchaeus' friends who have accepted him, the prostitutes, the uh, tax collectors, and the thieves. And they show up. Now, there are a few insiders of society that show up, and they're there to criticize and kind of point out everything that's wrong. But Jesus 
not only affirms Zacchaeus as a friend by sharing a meal with him, but he affirms his renewed faith and God's acceptance of Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus, he didn't choose his friends, but Jesus chose Zacchaeus as a friend. Jesus accepted him. Look, guys, you may not get to choose your friends, but Jesus has chosen you as his friend. And Jesus, when he chooses us, he widened the circle for us, didn't he? He thought there was room for us. And in the same way, we need to broaden our circle a little more, just like Jesus. Calling someone friend that maybe others wouldn't call friend. Just like he did. Well, so with our three stories, our three snapshots, first of all, I'd like to ask you the question, can you dare to see yourself as a sinner? See yourself, you can say it other ways, you can say as a screw-up, someone who's made mistakes, can you see yourself that way? You, you have friendship with those who are devout, but can you permit your friends also to be sinners? You know, sometimes, you know, we come to church and we come before the cross and we go, yeah, I'm a sinner and I need help. But then when our friends, when they screw up, you know, there's mercy for us, but there's no mercy for them. Can you liberate yourself with the truth that you are an offender and a sinner, but also your friends are sinners and offenders? And there might be times when they offend and sin against you. They might hurt you, do something stupid. You know, the great thing about Zacchaeus is that there was no sham of pretending with him. Uh, And and the love of God came to that sinner so the sinner could be helped. You see, through Jesus, we're allowed to be sinners. We don't have to pretend here. We don't have to put on a pretense or a show And if you dare, in being sinners, we can also be saved. You know, Jesus forgave Peter's denial because Peter wasn't hiding his sin, but acknowledging it. Joseph forgave his brothers when they acknowledged their guilt, and the fellowship of his family was restored. When we dare to be sinners instead of pious pretenders, we can break through to real friendship, real community. Can you accept the fact that your friends are just as much as a sinner as you are? Can you enter into the fellowship of sinners who live by grace in Jesus? We enter in through confession. Confession by the offender and confession by the one offended. That's the breakthrough to real friendship, real community. You know, you ever wonder why Jesus in in the New Testament were told You know, there's lots of one another commands, love one another, pray for one another, share with one another, bear each other's burdens. You know, one of the one one another's that we never seem to get past, forgive one another. We don't want to do it. And so we'll just leave and go to another church. You're missing out on the breakthrough to real community. You know what happens when, when you ask for forgiveness for something dumb you did and then somebody forgives you? It's like, oh man, I'm accepted. Even though I'm a screw-up, you accept me. 
And then when someone's hurt and you come and ask forgiveness, what they, they're like, oh man, this guy is really, he's for real. He knows he screwed up. He's, he's penitent. He's sorry. I'm just as much of a screw up as he is. Yeah, sure. Jesus forgave me. I'll forgive you. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And it happens in our friendships. It happens in jail groups. It happens in, in, in a community of the body of Christ. And it's what makes us different from the rest of the world around us is that we can forgive and we can continue to live together this new life and work together. You know, just take a moment and think about the potential tensions that were within the relationship of the 12 disciples. I mean, with friendship or a group of friends that you're first invited to, maybe uh, a gel group or a new set of friends at school, I mean, there's always those initial, initial questions that come up in your mind. Do I really fit in with this group? Do, do, are, are they going to accept me? Um, do I even like this group? You know, there's all those honest questions, and, and they're not bad questions. But there comes a point in every friendship and every group of friends where there is a breakthrough to true friendship, true community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the faithful German pastor who opposed Hitler during World War II, wrote a book called Life Together. And in it, he describes uh, that how any serious Christ follower will come into a friendship or a community with a definite idea of what life should be, and, and they'll try to realize it, make it happen. So we all have our ideas of what we think, this is what a church body should be like. This is my idea of perfection, and I want to be a part of it. I want to help make it happen. And, and we come into it. And, and so we have this idea. And then he writes this, but God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires us to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian friendship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christ followers in general. And if we are fortunate, a disillusionment with ourselves. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. Wow. Bonhoeffer finishes his thought on disillusionment with this. He who loves his dream of friendship more than the Christian friendship itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his or her personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. We have to face disillusionment. We have to move through it. Disappointment, trust being broken, hurt. And we've got to figure out how to forgive and move on to true friendship. Disillusionment. Can you move past it? Can you widen your circle of who you will accept? Maybe you guys don't connect with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but maybe you'll connect with Don Henley of the Eagles. Listen to this song he wrote a few years back. These times are so uncertain. There's a yearning undefined. People filled with rage. We all need a little tenderness. How can love survive in such a graceless age? The trust and self-assurance that can lead to happiness, they're the very things we, we kill, I guess. There are people in your life who've come and gone 
They'd let you down and hurt your pride. Better put it all behind you. Life goes on. You keep carrying that anger, it'll eat you inside. I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter, but my will gets weak. And my thoughts seem to scatter, but I think it's about forgiveness. Forgiveness, even if you don't love me anymore. I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter because the flesh will get weak and the ashes will scatter. So I'm thinking about forgiveness. Forgiveness, even if you don't love me anymore. Guys, there'll be a moment a friend lets you down. A friend will disappoint you. Say, say or do something that hurts your feelings. But can you break through the disillusionment? Can you accept them as Christ accepts you? Yeah, this is my friend Rabbit. He's a screw-up. I love him anyway. Can we get there? I think we can. I think Christ can give us what we need to make it. Nate and the guys are going to come up and lead us in worship. And it's our time to respond to Jesus and say, Jesus, my heart hasn't been in that position. I've been writing people off. I haven't been forgiving. And so, Lord, I need you to, I need you to rearrange some things in my heart so I can learn how to make a wider circle of friends. Remember, like Joseph, we, we're the brothers. We're the brothers who betrayed Christ. And he now sits at the right hand of the throne. And he is willing to forgive us. It's a whole lot easier to accept others in their failure when we ourselves have recognized that we're sinners accepted by Christ. So this is my friend. I didn't choose him, but Christ has. He isn't perfect. He's not my ideal, but neither am I. He's my friend. Let's stand together here. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minister to us by your Spirit in ways that no man can. And Lord, I pray as we worship, Lord, that we would realign ourselves in a way that aligns ourselves before you, remembering the grace that you have given us and the grace that we need to freely give to others in your name. Lord, we're not condoning sin. We're not accepting sin, but we're forgiving it, just like you forgave us. And Lord, we're not giving up on the ideal of trying to be a great friend, a good friend, noble, true, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. We still lift up those things. But Lord, we just recognize that we're all beggars. We're all ragamuffins before your door. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.